Strange Brew Podcast Season 1, Episode 110. We'll do a kind of, sort of, emergency podcast after the Giannis extension news yesterday. An emergency pod would have been dropping a podcast 10 minutes after the actual news happened. We're now 18 hours removed from it. This is more of an urgent care podcast, not an emergency room podcast, an urgent podcast. What a stunning bit of news, though, after Giannis said on media day that he was going to wait until next year and a lot of money made a big deal to him and he could have made more money next year. It just seemed like this was going to be on the back boiler for the entirety of this season. And then he was sandbagging, I guess. That's sandbagging son of a gun. He signs the three-year $186 million extension. He is now a Milwaukee Buck through 2028. Just amazing that we have this unicorn, this once-in-a-lifetime talent who actually wants to stay with the Milwaukee Bucks. I continue to walk around in a fantasy world if you're a diehard Bucks fan. We'll talk about that. I also want to do a quick little Packer note because I don't think we'll have time for it on Friday. We were doing the blame game on yesterday's podcast. Who would you blame? Would you blame LaFleur? Would you blame Goody? Would you blame Love? Where does your blame lie right now at 2-4 and four through six games and having had back-to-back losses against terrible, terrible teams? Charles Barkley back on TV tonight. NBA starts on TNT. Where would you assign blame the most? I think most of social media is laying it at the feet of Jordan Love. Yesterday's podcast, I said my personal feeling is it's Matt LaFleur. We had an emailer with a goody take that I think is a pretty solid one. We'll talk about that too. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's time! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin record-breaking run. Morgan a smash up the middle, base hit the center. Here comes Gomez around third. A throw and the Brewers win. Here's the snap. He looks. He throws. It's incomplete. And there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive gets inside. Leads in. Knocked away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul. On a tentacle ball. Throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there. And they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. One of my favorite parts of perusing X perusing Twitter last night to see all of the different Giannis takes after the extension news came down. TMJ4 News in Milwaukee. I don't know. They must have just sent someone to Pfizer Forum just to get the visual when you're reporting on a story like that. Or maybe some reporter was in that neighborhood. Just send him over to Pfizer Forum. Put him outside the home of the Bucks for the big Bucks story, the Giannis extension. And I guess wandering around like Batman in the streets of Milwaukee, David Gruber, Groobs, was just happened to be walking around Pfizer Forum. TMJ4's roving reporter spotted him, and he gave this interview where it sounds like Groobs might have been enjoying a little bit of a drink or two on All Water right, so Street. How do you feel uh, seeing that Giannis signed a three-year extension? Absolutely ecstatic. Absolutely ecstatic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he might be the only guy more recognizable in the city than you. I mean, it, <laughs> oh, it's close. It's close. Uh, no, it's tremendous for the city. It's tremendous for the state. It's tremendous for the organization. And yes, he's such a wonderful representative for everything. So, I mean, it's, it, it truly is a blessing for the area. Yeah. And you got courtside seats. I mean, you're going to enjoy it for the next three years, right? 
I don't miss many. <laughs> if we're around, we do have priorities, you know, but we don't miss much. Awesome. He didn't drop a one call that's all at the end. I thought that was a missed opportunity. It just made me laugh out loud that David Gruber, who is omnipresent among all sporting events, any major Milwaukee events, he's on billboards. You can't go... 250 feet in Milwaukee without seeing some kind of Gruber advertisement and then on the evening when Giannis signs this extension, <laughs> Gruber just happens to be wandering around perched atop Fiserv for him like a gargoyle and he swoops down and delivers that interview. I couldn't believe he didn't drop a one call, that's all. So we had the Gruber take. The Gruber, Gruber was the emergency podcast. What a moment for the franchise again with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Led by Giannis Antetokounmpo. That might be my favorite attempt at pronouncing Giannis's name. That was the Chicago Bulls color guy. I think he still is their analyst, Stacy King, who was a part of all those 90s Bulls teams. That is circa 2015 or 16, early in Giannis's career when not a lot of people knew how to say his last name, Antetokounmpo. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. But that is my favorite clip of someone attempting to say Giannis's last name, Adarumbo. And the thing is, from a broadcaster perspective, I know exactly what he was doing. Because when I call even D2 or D3 basketball games, you always end up with a couple tough pronunciations. Some maybe foreign players that have a Polish last name or something. That's tough to handle. And when you've got one that you know is difficult, you just say it out loud over and over and over again so that the muscle memory in your brain kicks in and hopefully translates to your tongue so you don't end up twisting it up during a broadcast. So I know he was sitting there saying, Ana de Kumpo, Ana de Kumpo, Ana de Kumpo, Ana de Kumpo. And then the mic went live and it went out, Ana de Rumbo. <laughs> he just, you know, he was killing himself. He was kicking himself after that. That is my favorite pronunciation of Giannis. I did have a text the B93 morning show. We were talking about that a little bit this morning, and they said, play the Giannis Sheboygan clip. The Bucks must have done something years ago where you have the athletes try to pronounce Wisconsin cities, and Giannis got Sheboygan. 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 He actually had it at the beginning of it. He was, that's as close of all the three attempts he made there. That was the closest. He signs a three-year, $186 million extension after he said on media day that he was going to wait. I think he did stand to make more money if he signs it next offseason. Remember he said, I'm not going to sign it this year because I stand to make a lot of more bleeping money next year. And we thought that was just going to be it then. All right, we'll wait till next year. It sounded like it was a soft commit to next year, which was enough. That was enough to satiate the fan base and say, okay, he's probably going to sign it next year. You just knew, though, as a Bucks fan, the entire season, as we're now knocking on the door of that current extension being done, you already had it happening with Windhorst and all the talking heads and Stephen A. Smith on ESPN and all that kind of stuff. They were already speculating like they did the last time. Where's he going to go? I was joking with some buddies on a group text that you know Brian Windhorst is going to be on first take or whatever it is on ESPN this morning speculating where he's going to be in 2029. I think I, I think Pat Riley says he isn't in. For Giannis, I think 2029 is the year that he's going to want to go. The NBA media and the national media cannot get enough of speculating where Giannis is going to go next, and Giannis just keeps on putting his Herbie Hancock on these extensions, signing one after the other after the other. And he's always said he's a loyal guy, and if the team is competing for championships, then that's where he wants to be. He wants to be a guy who's with the team his entire career. It's one thing to have a superstar say that, but so far he has fulfilled that. He has lived up to those words which just continues, like I said in the opener, for a Bucks fan to make it feel like we're in fantasy land, like we're in dreamland. We talked about the Andy Bernard, that that line Bernard has at the end of The Office on that final episode where he said something to the effect of, I wish you knew when the good times were before they were over. 
I'll say it again. These are the good times, Bucks fans. We have a title. We have a two-time MVP who wants to stay, who isn't trying to leave Milwaukee at his first opportunity, who has now signed not one, not two, but three big extensions to keep himself in Milwaukee. And not only is he one of the most talented players on the planet, arguably the best or second best player in the world, he wants to be here. He gives back to the community. He's hardworking. He's got the Kobe MJ work ethic. I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't know how he ends up here landing in that spaceship in our backyard. I don't know how my destitute, moribund franchise ended up with a player like this. It's never going to be better than this. I told my wife that last night. I got home after 7 or 8 o'clock curling night. And I, we were talking about, oh, God, Giannis signed the extension. And I said, this is it is never going to get better. I mean, maybe somebody said that back in the day. Maybe some Bucks fan, some version of myself from the early to mid-1970s after they traded Kareem or after they were in the finals a couple times and won a title. Maybe they said it then. It's never going to be better than this. It just is never going to get better than this. Whenever this era ends, which now has a much bigger window because of Dame, because of the Giannis extension and the Middleton extension, the Brooke Lopez extension, and the new head coach, this is now a five- to six-year window. We thought we were at the end of a window. We had a crack open for maybe a year, and now it's opened up again. Whenever it is that this ends, though, and we hope it doesn't end until, God, how old will he be? How old is Giannis? I still feel like Giannis in my brain. I feel like he's 26 years old. I know he's not. Giannis age. He's 28. This will take him then five years to 33, and then he probably signs. He may sign two more extensions. I guess there is a school of thought. I saw this on Twitter that, yes, he could have made more money in the immediacy if he signs it next offseason, but signing it this offseason gives him a chance to sign at least two more extensions, maybe before this one's even up. Perhaps that played into it, too. Money always does seem to be a factor, doesn't it? And, yes, it's a lot of money. I saw a lot of that on Facebook and Twitter, too. I've said it once. I'll say it again. If you want to get angry about how much these guys are making, I saw it in Facebook comment sections. No shock there that that's the social media where most people are upset about the amount of money Giannis is making. Not a stunner when you look at the age demographic breakdown of the different social medias. I get it. It's a ton of money. It's Looney Tunes money. And yes, you saw the comments. Our doctors should be making that or our teachers should be making Yes, sure. Yes. In a perfect world, yes. I agree. I told myself a long time ago, I am not going to get upset about the amount of money that athletes make or whatever because you're just going to be angry then about it anytime you read it. And there is a little bit of the capitalism, you get paid what you're worth. Giannis is a guy who generates hundreds of millions of dollars for this franchise in ticket sales, playoff ticket sales, jersey sales, endorsements. The value of the franchise is up over $2 billion now. He does make this franchise a lot more valuable, and he makes a lot of money for not only the franchise, but the city of Milwaukee. I get that people are going to get upset about that, too. But this extension will take him through 2028, so he'd be 33 years old or 34 years old, and then he has at least one more and probably two more massive extensions coming. We hope this will just continue on in perpetuity until Giannis retires at the ripe old age of 45 with five rings and a top-five all-time NBA player. Whenever it is, though, that we reach the conclusion of this, it's never going to be better. I understand that. For the rest of my life, it's never going to be better than the Giannis era in Milwaukee and having a player of his caliber with his sense of humor, with his connection to the city. It's just never going to be like this again. So enjoy it. Enjoy every minute. That's why I watch every minute of every stupid Bucks game, even the dumb games, which will be easier this year because you've got the Dame element now. You kind of want to see how this comes together. The early season games are much more interesting, at least much more than they were the year last year or the year prior. But that's why I try to watch. If I'm around a TV or radio or whatever, 
and I'm not working or something else is going on, I tried to watch every second of this era because I know when it's gone, we are going to be longing for these days. Enjoy them now while we are in them. That extension sign, that takes him past Dame's extension. Now, the question is, who will the Bucks have to acquire in 2027 in order to keep Giannis for a fourth extension? This is what he did before the current extension that he's in the middle of. He said low or publicly, locally, publicly that he wants this team to compete for championships. He wants to be here, but if they're not committed to a championship, then he may have to look elsewhere. What did they do that offseason? They went and traded for Drew Holiday, traded a ton of assets to acquire Holiday, which was a master stroke because the Bucks got a championship. Now that window's closing, and the Bucks are looking to make a move, and Giannis said this offseason before the Dame trade and before he signs this extension, obviously. The same thing he said in whatever it was, 2019 or early 2020, I want to be here. If they're committed to winning championships, I will be here. They have to show that commitment, though. And then 25 days later, John Horst said, I got you this Dame Lillard. Here you go. I got this for you. And Giannis said, okie dokie, I'll sign my contract extension now. Dame's contract goes three more years, and they may have a situation where they can keep them both. I don't know. This money seems bonkers, but somehow they're making it work and the luxury tax and bringing in Jimmy Haslam and the whole deal. Maybe Dame just stays then past this contract, or maybe I wouldn't put this past John Horace right now. Dame has two years left on his deal and a player option. Maybe if this comes together this year and you can really see it on the floor and they live up to the championship expectations, perhaps at some point this year or in the offseason, they rework Dame's deal and they extend him to a couple of years more or a couple of years past where he is currently set to expire. It will be intriguing, though, to see in 2027 or whenever it is, 2026, when Yada says probably exactly what he's going to say, what he said this summer, and exactly what he said three years ago. I want to be here, but I want this team to continue to be a championship-caliber team. Who will they have to get in 2027? Who is the biggest young up-and-coming guard right now? Oh, what a moment for the Bucks and the franchise. And as I said, for the fan base, it continues to be dream walking. That this is our guy, that he wants to be here, that he plays for us, that we've got this connection to him. And all of the different X factors, they all just trend upward. It just, it's amazing. It's amazing that this is our guy. The Bucks get things underway on Thursday. NBA starts tonight. Chuck is back on TV tonight. Chuck and Shaq and Kenny the Jet and Ernie and the whole crew. The NBA on TNT starts tonight with a doubleheader. And then the Bucks have a couple days off to begin the year, and they will have the Sixers at Pfizer Forum. Talk about two franchises heading in two different directions. The Sixers at, at Pfizer Forum on Thursday. James Harden still has not shown up to Sixers camp. I don't think there's any chance he plays on Thursday, but he is sort of a wild card. Who knows? Maybe he'll show up 20 minutes before the game starts. So they're without him, and Embiid coming off of his MVP season, there are already rumors that he wants to go to New York. You've just got a different two ships passing in the night. You've got the upward trajectory again of the Bucks with Dame in the fold now and Giannis on the extension, and you've got the James Harden drama in the background with Embiid already throwing out hints that he wants to leave with the Sixers coming to town on Thursday. Should be a fun one. Another just take-your-breath-away moment if you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan with that extension yesterday. All right, I do want to hit on this. We were talking yesterday about the blame game. And when you look at the Packers' 2-4 and four start, youngest team in the league, growing pains. Hopefully that's what they are, or are they just pains? We're going to find out as the year keeps going. And I said on Monday's podcast, who, if you had to blame one person, where would you lie, lay the blame? Because to me, everybody's right. If you say it's Matt LaFleur's issue, you're right. If you say it's Goody's issue, you're probably right. If you say it's all Jordan Love and he's just not the guy – 
and the fact that he is not the guy and he's not making the right reads and he can't throw the ball downfield is impacting the play calling of Matt LaFleur and maybe there are calls he wants to make but he can't and on and on and on. If you want to put it on love, you're probably right about that too at this point. No matter of those three, and that seems to be the trinity right now, of those three, if you want to lay the blame at somebody's feet and you build a case for any one of those three, it's a believable case. I put the blame at the feet of Matt LaFleur. I just don't think the play calling is imaginative enough right now We were sold when he was hired in 2019 as this was going to be a guy from the Sean McVay coaching tree. And at that time, the Rams were about the most innovative offense in the league. And we saw some of that in the first couple of years, but maybe that was all Rodgers. At this point, it could have been. It could have been all Rodgers' calls at the line or him tailoring the game plan during the course of the week and LaFleur working with him because he is a Hall of Fame quarterback and manufacturing maybe a different game plan that he would come up with. That's just, I haven't seen that. And I haven't seen the offense click in the way you want it to yet. And Jordan Love, I know a popular sentiment right now is that he's not a first-year quarterback, even though he's finally seeing first-team reps. He's been under the system for three years. He's been being coached for three years and was under Aaron Rodgers for three years. This is really his fourth year, and how is he not better at this point? Oh, valid questions, but Matt LaFleur is his coach. So if Matt LaFleur is doing the coaching, and he's the guy in the quarterback room. And Jordan Love, after three years behind Aaron Rodgers, comes out this year, and he just stinks top to bottom. His head coach is a part of that, too. I would lay the blame at Matt LaFleur's feet. We didn't really dive into the Goody part of it. I got an email, and it kind of dives into – here, where is it right now? Let me get this. Said, hey, John, understand the LaFleur take, definitely understand people getting upset with love, but I think this is more of a players on the field situation. Go back and take a look at Brian Gutekunst's draft history. They have not ended well, and they haven't supplemented it with free agency the way they did in 2019. I'm saying the players on the field and the roster construction is the number one issue, and Goody's the one who has to go. So I did look at it because that they told me to, and I have tons of free time at work. So I, I dove into it. And it is true. They have not done a ton, unless I'm missing somebody. They haven't done a ton in free agency in the last three or four years. Remember his first year, or was it his second year? When did they sign Packers, sign Preston, Zadarius? Who was the other guy? The offensive lineman, Billy Turner. They did it all in one day. Remember, free agency opened. And we were so accustomed as Packer fans to not having the Packers make any moves under Ted Thompson. Okay, that was the first offseason after Goody's first year. That was the offseason between 2018 and 2019 where they went out and made all those moves and supplemented the roster through free agency, which at the time, if we would have been doing a podcast, we would have said they had to do because Ted Thompson's drafts in 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016 didn't yield much of a crop with a new GM taking over, and he had one draft under his belt at that point, the 2018 draft for Gutekunst. At that point, he had to do something with Rodgers in the twilight of his career, and the last five or six drafts not really panning out. They needed to go out there and spend money, and they did. They brought in Zedarius, they brought in Preston, they brought in Billy Turner. There was one other guy, too, wasn't there? Anyway, they haven't done anything like that really since. So on that emailer's suggestion, I did go back, and I looked at the Packer drafts under Gutekunst, and I have to say... <laughs> They're not good. They're not good. You go back to his first draft in 2018. We're going to burn through these. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. Jair Alexander was the first draft pick that Goody made. And that's been, for the most part, a home run. He has had some injury issues this year and last year. He signed a big extension. He's the highest paid corner in the league. That was a home run, Jair Alexander. After that, though, 
Josh Jackson, not in the league. Oren Burks, a special teamer in San Francisco right now. Jamon Moore, not in the league. Cole Madison, not in the league. J.K. Scott, not in the league. MVS is now in KC. He turned into a mediocre player for the Packers for a while and a pretty mediocre player for the Chiefs. Equinemius St. Brown, bust in Green Bay and is a low-roster guy in Chicago. James Looney, Hunter Bradley, Kendall Donerson, none of them in the league. After Jair, not much. Go to 2019. Rashawn Gary, another looks-like home run coming back from injury. He is in line to make a lot of money the way Jair Alexander did. That, to me, is a home run. Darnell Savage Jr., very good his rookie year. Tailed off his second year, tailed off his third year. Almost was cut last year. Has kind of seen things come back a bit for him this year. Second-round pick, Elton Jenkins. If he could stay healthy, he's one of the top offensive linemen on the team and maybe in the league as well at guard. He's versatile, too. That was also, to me, a home run. Then Jay Sternberger, not in the league. Kingsley Kiki, not in the league. Kadar Holman, not in the league. Dexter Williams, not in the league. Ty Summers, who was a good special teamer for a while, not in the league. After the first couple picks, not much. 2020, this will be the draft that defines him because it is the Jordan Love draft. They trade up for Jordan Love. We're finding out right now what he could be. A.J. Dillon was the second pick that year. Many people thought it was a reach. He's had an okay career. Is he in line for an extension at the end of this year? I would say no. He has rushed for over 2,000 yards, and he has caught 600-ish yards in the receiving game as well. Productive to an extent. I don't know that he's going to be here past this year, though. The mayor of Door County. Then you have Josiah DeGuara, who probably needs to be cut. Kamal Martin, not in the league. John Runyon Jr., serviceable guard. Jake Hansen, not in the league. Simon Stepaniak, not in the league. Vernon Scott, not in the league. Jonathan Garvin, no longer in the league. 2021, Eric Stokes, okay his rookie year, pretty poor his sophomore year, then hurt, and maybe just coming back now. Josh Myers, a starting center, but basically the last or second-to-last ranked center by every offensive lineman metric right now. He has not been good. Amari Rodgers was a bust. He's in Houston now. Royce Newman, one of the worst guards in the NFL when he's gotten playing time. What else? Shamar Jean Charles out for the year. Cole Van Lennon not in the league. Isaiah McDuffie's getting some run right now with the injuries at middle linebacker. He had 10 tackles on Sunday. And then Kylan Hill no longer in the league. 2022. Quay Walker, we're hoping becomes something. Devontae Wyatt finally getting some playing time this year. He is hurt now. Christian Watson, we are hoping has a huge upside right now, though. Injuries are obviously a concern. Sean Ryan couldn't get a start over Royce Newman, who we just said was bad. Romeo Dobbs hopefully pans out. Zach Tom is looking like he could be a guy that's going to be on the offensive line for a while. Kingsley Ngabare is having an okay beginning to his career. Tariq Carpenter, Jonathan Ford, Rashid Walker, Samari Toure, maybe two of those guys right now getting playing time with Walker and Toure. Walker has not been good. Toure has not done a whole lot as of yet. And then 2023 is probably pretty hard to judge at this point. Lucas Van Ness, we've seen a little bit of. Luke Musgrave looks like he could be productive. Jaden Reed is a guy a lot of people are high on. Tucker Craft, haven't seen a lot of yet. Colby Wooden has been okay in the front seven as a rotational guy. Sean Clifford, like we said on Monday's podcast, could he be the guy? Dontavian Wicks is a player they need to utilize more. Carl Brooks has been useful in the middle of that line. Anders Carlson, despite the offseason struggles, has been solid. Carrington Valentine, they've used quite a bit in the secondary. A seventh-round pick. We're going to see more of Anthony Johnson as we go forward. Again, it's tough to really give a grade or a thumbs-up or a thumbs-down in 2023. But you look back at... 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, and maybe it's even tough to judge 2022 right now. Let's just judge the first four drafts. He has gotten one, two, three, four, five, if you count A.J. Dillon, six, John Runyon Jr., 
six players. I mean, over the course of four or five drafts, they've had six or seven useful pieces, and I wouldn't say they're all top-tier guys or Pro Bowl guys. That's not a great ratio, and you compare that to some of the teams like the Patriots in their heyday, and obviously it's tough to reach that level. But you compare that to some of the other top teams, the Niners and their drafting of defense, and yes, they had higher picks for a while. That is a factor. But they are getting two or three or four useful players out of every draft. I had not thought about that component until that emailer brought it to my attention, and as I started to read those drafts, I thought, boy, they're just there's maybe one player per draft or two on a good draft out of seven or eight or nine guys they're taking that are still on the team and are useful members of the team. That's a fair assessment. If that is, maybe maybe that's where people are leaning now, or at least that emailer was, that when you are talking about the difficulties and the struggle of this year, go right to the top. Forget about the second level and the coaching and forget about the players on the field. It's the guy that's giving you the ingredients. If the meal is poor and it just doesn't taste good, Maybe it's the guy that's shopping. It's the guy that's getting you subpar ingredients or ingredients you can't use. You're in like an episode of Chopped. How do you put this whole thing together? And and I look back at those drafts, and then you factor in that they are not really bolstering anything with a ton of free agents moves or any trades or anything like that. Yeah, maybe that is another element to this whole thing that I didn't really dive into on Monday that deserves a bit more of an examination or a microscope from the Packer fans. Goody has sort of dodged it so far. We're only six games into the year, and if love doesn't pan out, that will be Goody's legacy. You can throw all the other names that we just mentioned out. If love doesn't pan out or he ends up being a bust and they went and moved up to get him and that started the schism between him and Rodgers and the franchise and Rodgers, if that doesn't work out and if Sean Clifford's not the guy, that would be the saving grace for Goody where if love doesn't work out and it turns out that Sean Clifford is the guy, you can say, look, I got the guy in the fifth round the next year or two years later. Maybe that is. Maybe that's something that deserves more examination for the Packer fan base because right now most of the rage is directed at Jordan Love, some of it at Matt LaFleur, mine included, and you just don't see a whole lot of mention of Goody right now on Packer social media. As the year wears on, though, the more and more we see of this team and if Love continues to struggle, you've got to imagine that Goody is going to rise in the power rankings of the person that people are blaming the most. I just thought that was... Interesting to go through those drafts and see that there's not a whole lot there. Maybe a guy or two every draft, but that's it. It'd be interesting to go through every GM and compare those drafts and see what kind of hit rate there is and what you would consider a hit rate. There are certainly dynamics here that we're not going to be doing too much of a deep dive into. This is a surface-level podcast. And when I looked at those, I thought, yeah, there's not a lot. There's not a lot you love about those first four or five drafts, and maybe we'll see players in 2022 or 2023 that develop. I would be optimistic about 2023 right now with Musgrave and Jaden Reed, maybe Sean Clifford, Dontavian Wicks. Carlson could be your kicker for a while. Carl Brooks, like we said, has been good in the middle there. If you get five or six guys out of that draft and you can get love on the right track, then maybe you're going to be okay, and maybe Goody will be okay, and he'll move on and be the GM for the next five or six years. It is tough to look at those drafts, though, and not be critical of the players that are on the field and the person that's putting these teams together before maybe you get mad at Matt LaFleur or Jordan Love. All right, I do want to read one more tweet. It is from – did I close it already? It's from Zach Cruz. There were a lot of different people that were going through the entirety of Jordan Love's day yesterday – and where he was good and where he was bad, and he was a lot more bad than good, again, on Sunday in Denver. I thought this was an interesting read, though. 
This was Zach Cruz. Jordan Love was. And this is a this is a breakdown of four different stats. When he was in a clean pocket and didn't have pressure, he was 13 of 20 for 73 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Not good. When he was not utilizing play action, he was 12 of 22, 90 yards, and a pick. Also not good. When he was under pressure, he was 8 of 11 for 107 yards, a touchdown, and no turnovers. That's really good. And when he was working off of play action, he was 9 of 9 for 90 yards and two touchdowns. on Both of his touchdowns on the day came under that play action where he was under some duress. It is odd that a young quarterback who is only making his sixth start this year, what, seventh start overall or eighth start overall? It is odd that he was successful on Sunday when he was under pressure and when he had time, which is where he had been pretty good early in the year in a clean pocket, when he had time... He was not good on Sunday, which makes me think of a Michael Scottism from The Office where... Michael always says K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. Great advice. Hurts my feelings every time. Keep it simple, stupid. That was my first air check when I moved on to B93. Thinking's not your thing, John. That's what our PD at the time told me. Just keep it simple. Tell us what the songs were. Tell us what songs you have coming up. Keep it simple, stupid. Thinking ain't your bag, man. It is bizarre that when he had time and composure, he was not accurate and was not making plays on Sunday. That, to me, means he's overthinking it, which I guess should not come as a shock. He is seeing his first regular playing time in the NFL. He's seeing his first regular playing time period since college in 2019 into 2020, where he's actually the guy every week. And now he's seeing these complex NFL defenses who are probably playing pretty vanilla against him at the beginning of the year because they weren't sure what Jordan Love was, what his strengths were, what his weaknesses were. And as they've gotten more film, we've seen the regression of Jordan Love as teams are building their defenses to stop whatever his strengths are. And you're seeing every week him scuffle. Well, after a three-interception game against Vegas, where I think on that podcast we even said after the Vegas loss, he looked like he played scared, and the play calls were scared. Play calls. It seemed like Matt LaFleur was scared to give him anything big chunk-wise or downfield, mix it up at all against Vegas. He called a scared game plan, and Jordan Love played kind of scared. And then you throw three picks, and you don't have a touchdown, and things are kind of falling away. Even with the bye week, it looks like he came out against Denver, and when he had time to think, he was overthinking it and wasn't pulling the trigger quickly enough and wasn't just in the rhythm of the game. When he was forced to make a decision quickly because of pressure or because of play action and you have to get the ball out fast, when he had no time to think, his numbers were very good. I don't know if that's something to build on or not, but it is interesting that when he was under pressure, he was kind of at his best on Sunday. And when he had time, it seemed like he got his own in his own head on Sunday. I don't know what you do from a coaching perspective. You work in more play action, although you've got to figure defenses when they see those numbers are going to be anticipating that in his next start. I don't know what you do as a coach to correct that or to rectify that or to help him think less, simplify the game plan. I don't know. Get the ball out quicker, have two quick reads, and try to move things as quickly as possible. Three-step drops. I don't know. I don't know what they will do to get him in those positions. It was just an interesting breakdown of his day on Sunday. When he had time and had time to think about it, he overthought it and didn't pull the trigger quickly enough. And when he was under pressure, he had some of his best throws of the day. All right, we will get set on Friday. We'll be recapping, like we said, the first Bucks game with Dame and the newly minted extension now for Giannis. 
We'll be recapping that matchup against the Sixers on Friday. We'll get you set for Packers and Vikings. Vikings beat the Niners in, in at home in Minnesota on Monday. That was kind of a stunner, too. Niners were eight or nine-point favorites. If you were hoping to make your money back after a bad gambling weekend on that pick, on picking the Niners to cover the spread in Minnesota, oof. And Kirk won under the lights. He's not an under-the-lights guy, as has been well-documented in his career. Without Justin Jefferson, they got the job done. I am petrified of who's the – what's his first name on the defensive line for the Vikings? Hunter? DeAndre Hunter? Is that it? Or is that an – that might be an NBA player. I am very scared of him, the sack leader in the NFL, going against this Packer offensive line and maybe being matched up against Rasheed Walker on Sunday. Eesh. Vikings get to 3-4, and four and the Packers are trying to stay out of the cellar in the NFC North. We'll set up that Packer-Viking matchup. Because things have been down for the Packers, I think we will continue on with the fun memory portion of the Friday podcast. We'll try to track down a fun Packer-Viking matchup with Favre or a fun Packer-Viking matchup during the Rodgers era to just give you some nostalgia on Friday. Work those in until the team gets better on the field in present day. We'll think fondly of the years past. We will do that and get set for Badgers, Ohio State. That line right now is still at 14 and a half as they get set for the showdown at Camp Randall on Saturday night. We'll chat with you then.